Greetings, greetings once again to all my enemies and all my friends. I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. It's the show where we don't take calls. We don't tolerate sponsors, but we do help focus you on the events of the week through the lens of original thought. It's good to have everyone here. We're celebrating, well, somewhat. We try not to get too celebratory, but uh, every once in a while we get a little victory, and so we'll take it. Chesa Bodine was recalled up in San Francisco, proving that while the national elections and the statewide elections may be completely rigged for the communists and the insurrectionists, that when it comes to a local election there in the city of San Francisco, they don't quite have it wired all the way yet. And and if enough people show up, that, that the other side just can't cheat that much. That's what it is. So 98% of the people in San Francisco voted to recall Chesa Bodine, and the communists and the insurrectionists could only make it look like 60% showed up, which was still enough to recall him. (laughs) And now he's upset. He says that, uh, well, let's see here. The New York Post reports that about 60% of voters backed booting Chesa Bodine from office, and we've already established that means approximately 98%. And he blames, he says, quote, the right wing billionaires outspent us three to one. Us meaning the left wing billionaires <laughs> like the yeah. Now, George Soros, he thought he had San Francisco pretty much locked up. He legalized pot there like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is it? Anyway, so he pretty much thought that he could he could install Chessa and just move on. You know, to Peoria and Des Moines, where he can really start doing his evil damage, his satanic antichrist activity. George Soros. I don't know if he's literally the antichrist, but he's the embodiment of everything that is uh, the end. So he was on his way to Peoria and Des Moines, and now he's looking in his rearview mirror wondering what's happening in in San Francisco. So anytime you can get a guy like George Soros to slow down for a minute, that's worthy of some celebration. So congratulations to the 98% of voters in San Francisco who voted to recall Chesa Bodine. And and now, but, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. I have a report here from policedefense.org where they report that there are currently... 75 George Soros-backed prosecutors, what uh, policedefense.org calls social justice prosecutors. There are 75 of them in office right now, so-called social justice prosecutors. That's what they call them at policedefense.org. Here at the Weekly Worldview, we call them insurrectionist communists, criminally traitorous prosecutors who should be arrested forget recall elections trench coats should be thrown over their heads handcuffs on their wrists their computers and their phones seized that's what should happen but uh, anyway so there's still 74 in office apparently chesa bodine having gone down 74 prosecutors still in office they represent by the way More than one in five Americans are represented by one of the, well, wait a second. A note to the folks at at policedefense.org. I'm sure you're doing fine work, but I don't think prosecutors represent anyone. I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with basic civics. And prosecutors actually are supposed to protect and defend uh, you know, in the criminal justice system. So to put it more correctly, these 75 communist, insurrectionist, criminally traitorous district attorneys are supposed to protect and defend more than one in five Americans. 
That's 75 million people. 75 million people are exposed to harm by George Soros's 74 remaining prosecutors. From 2018 to 2021, PoliceDefense.org reports that Soros spent $13 million on 10 prosecutors' races, and he comprised the majority of the spending on the so-called progressive side of the contest. Progressive meaning insurrectionist, communist, criminally traitorous. So George Soros spent most of the money on behalf of Chesa Bodine that was spent. He spent most of the money that was spent on behalf of, who's the guy in L.A.? How could I forget his name? You remember the guy in L.A.? The, the, the communist, uh, Gascon. The insurrectionist, communist, criminally traitorous prosecutor. He spent most of the majority of the money was spent by George Soros. He uses a series of shell organizations to steer contributions into these races. And uh, let's see, Soros linked prosecutors oversee 20% of Americans. Oversee? Well, I guess, anyway, uh, they're supposed to protect and defend 20% of Americans, but they oversee 40% of all homicides in the United States. 40% of all the murders in the United States are happening under one of George Soros's prosecutors. I know you'll say, well, that's just because they're all in the big cities and that's where most of the murders take place. True, but the math is right here. Anyway, George Soros should be arrested wherever he is under a RICO statute. And do we know where George Soros is? I mean, you've got the leftists who are doxing Supreme Court justices in hopes of getting one of them killed over the possible, the possible decision coming down on how we should regulate killing babies. They, the left wants absolute control over how and when they murder babies. They want it everywhere, every time, everyone. And then the pro-lifers, they only want to let the maniacs kill some of them in certain ways under certain circumstances. And there's a decision that may come down on that. And so the leftists want to dox the Supreme Court to get someone to show up at their house and do something violent, maybe. Okay, so here at the Weekly Worldview, we're not calling for any civilian authorities. I'm sorry, we're not calling for any civilians who are not in authority, I should say. To do anything to George Soros at 136 Sintito Street, Katona, New York. That's 136 Cantito Street, Katona, New York. If you're wondering where George Soros is, this is where he is. This is his house. It's not a house. It's a compound. And if you try to go there, you'll be machine gunned. But that's where he is, 136 Cantito Street. Since it's fashionable to dox people. 136 Cantito Street, Katona, New York, 10536. I'm not actually doxing him because this is publicly available information. George Soros is not afraid to tell you where he is because, you know, the machine guns and, and you know, yeah, all of that. So, uh, But that's where he is, and he should be arrested. I'm not calling for some uh, maniac who has a problem with women and his dad to go and, and camp out by George Soros' house with a pistol and a candle and some crystal meth. That's not what I'm... I'm asking the police in Katona, New York to arrest George Soros on racketeering charges. That's... Here at the Weekly Worldview, we want things done properly by the governing authorities as they should be done. Not like the communist dictatorship into which we are rapidly declining. Speaking of that, we go into the bad religion file. The bad religion file. Should I stick with George Soros for a little while? No? And yeah, well, no, we'll go we'll get back to George Soros because everything always circles back to George Soros eventually. So in the stack of stories, there's three or four, I'm sure, coming up that'll get us back to George Soros. Let's go to the Museum of Communism, and I mean that literally. Let's go to the Museum of Communism, he said, to his extremely attractive audio engineer. I would like to go to the Museum of uh, of communism. It's it's the museum honoring the victims of communism is actually what it is. And the only reason we won't be going is because it's in Washington, D.C. 
and there's no way we'll ever go there. So I wish they would have opened this in a nicer place, but I'm glad they opened it. This is the Victims of Communism Museum, designed to honor the 100 million people who've died at the hands of communists, but also the 1.5 billion people who still live under communism today, including 370 million hapless Americans. <laughs> well, not quite yet, not full-on communism. So we'll get to, well, the reason this museum has been established is so hopefully we won't have to honor the 370 million Americans who were victimized by communism. <laughs> hopefully. So the main floor of the museum, in case you can't go or you're afraid to go to Washington, D.C. because you don't have body armor and bodyguards with machine guns, the main floor of the museum is broken up into three thematic rooms, revolution, repression, and resistance. The first room, revolution, talks about the rise of communism. And prominently displayed right there on the first floor for everyone to see in front of God and everyone is a definition of communism. A system of centralized political power in which a single party dictatorship abolishes private property and controls the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. Under the pretense of a classless egalitarian society, communist regimes in practice rely on force, use brutality, and repress speech, religion, assembly, and all other rights and freedoms. Unquote. Not bad. Pretty well said. So every eighth grader should go. Every, every one of them. <clears throat> the Board of Trustees at the Victims of Communism Museum emphasize the importance of educating all generations about the threat of communism, especially the youth. The report here in humanevents.com then visits with some 7th and 8th graders who were attending a sneak peek preview of the museum. That's encouraging. That's very much encouraging. Uh, the, the, the chairman there of the Board of Trustees says that the 7th and 8th graders who attended the preview were getting it. They were getting it. They were understanding it. And he says that's a major part of what we do here. So it's, it's encouraging that we see some adults here who understand how important it is to educate children. It's almost as if the thinking people, the rational, thinking, God-fearing, patriotic people forgot how important it was to educate our children. And we forgot for like 30 years. And we're just starting to wake up and be like, huh, what? Oh, that reminds me, some advice I gave. Well, let me finish with the communist, the, the uh, Victims of Communism Museum. An upstairs exhibit hall, an upstairs exhibit hall features a temporary installation of artifacts from the 1989 Tiananmen Square protest and massacre. Not to be forgotten yet unless the chinese unless the chinese ascend to the very peak of the mountain which right now they're they're steps away but they have yet they are not yet ascendant and their fall could be precipitous and of a moment their fall could it's seriously that's the thing about communists and dictators and godless atheistic heathens they look strong and in fact, they are strong, but in a moment it can all collapse because it's all teetering on lies and unreality. It's not based in what's true and right and good. And it's all held at the power of the barrel of a gun. Nobody actually loves Xi Jinping. The people don't actually want him. And so the fall could be precipitous and all of a sudden, and so let's pray for that, let's work for that, and let's thank the folks at the Victims of Communism Museum where I encourage you to go if you're not afraid to go to Washington, D.C., and if you are afraid, that's a rational fear. So now, to get to some advice to I gave, that I gave to a young man, a young man 
who I had a conversation with, he told me that he was getting ready to go to college. I said, why? He said, well, for one thing, I've got $10,000 in scholarship money already. And I'm working my way towards some more scholarship money. And I said, well, that's not what I asked. I, that's no reason. Why are you going to college? Like, for what purpose? He didn't know. He's going to college, I think, because his mom and his dad want him to go to college, which is the unfortunate situation of many young men. They're going to college because mom and dad say you got to go to college, and you, you're a young, stupid kid. You don't know any better. You think you got to go to college. Anyway, I asked him, I said, did your mom go to college? No. How's your mom do? She's doing pretty well. Okay, so why are you going to college? Oh, I got $10,000. I got the scholarship. So anyway, I wrote him a message on Facebook. And I uh, let's call him Jonathan. That's not his real name, but we're just going to call him Jonathan. I said, Jonathan, after hearing that you have gotten some money to start college, I have a proposal for you. Are you ready for this? I have a check for $10,000 to give you as well. Of course, nothing in life is free, so there are a few conditions. You'll have to use the money for hip replacement surgery starting in the fall. And you'll have to go to one of the doctors in a medical group that I have already approved. Now, this group of doctors is well known for bad outcomes, severe side effects, and well-documented botched procedures. And their official position is that they hate you and they hate your family. They hate everything that you and your family ever stood for on both sides, your mom's side and your dad's side. And they especially hate your grandparents. On the other hand, they are excited to hear that you will be spending your money with them. McBurney, you're asking Doug, why would a healthy 18-year-old young man need hip replacement surgery? To which I say, yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> That's, uh, okay, so now let's go from there. Let's go from there to the Lutherans. And then they're in the, they find themselves in the bad religion file this week. As Lutherans are oft wont to do, we have the first openly transgender bishop has resigned over allegations of racism. Whoa, talk about intersectionalism. <laughs> so we've got the uh, first open tranny has been accused as, as a racist. This is over at the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Martin Luther's just like, what? The, the who, what? Excuse me? I didn't include that in my 94. No, he, he wasn't the guy who did the 95 treaties, is he? Is he? 95 theses. 95 theses. Yeah, was, it, was that Martin Luther? Yes. Anyway, there's a church named after him that has a, an openly transgender bishop, at which point he's like, wait a second. I mean, I had 95 things, and I never even would have thought to got to one of that. No. Let's make that 96. In fact, let's move that to the top of the list. Stamp the let's uh, let's uh, stick that on the door of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Anyway, um, during uh, college, the bishop <clears throat> identified as a lesbian before becoming transgender and marrying a woman. Now, 
So let's try to wait a second now. Let's try to figure out exact. No, you know what? Let's not because yeah. In 2012, uh, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors declared uh, August 12th as Pastor Megan Rohrer Day. That's back when she was a she, identified as a she. She is a she. Anyway, they declared August 12th Pastor Megan Rohrer Day because she was such an outspoken defender of LGBTQ people especially the transgender homeless and Christians, which are two separate groups. Transgender homeless and Christians, it's nice to see that they're two separate groups. Um, let's see now. Now, what happened is that, uh, well, recently her removal of a Puerto Rican pastor has upset the Misión Latina Luterana. The Mission Latina Luterana is upset because she's not wearing the ribbon. Is why. Uh, <clears throat> so they accuse her of being a racist against the Puerto Rican who, well, they don't identify the Puerto Rican all that much, except that uh, it's a Puerto Rican. Uh, so the the tranny has resigned. She says she resigned because of the... Con Wait a second now. Is this actually a she? Is this is... Uh, let's see now. She identified as a lesbian before becoming transgender. Mary. So I'm actually not sure if this is a boy or a girl at this point. So I apologize for that. <laughs> I'm just going to say she because her name is Megan in the story and makes it easier for me to finish this story. Uh, uh, so the, the Puerto Rican didn't resign. The Puerto Rican was run out of town on a rail by the tranny, <laughs> just, which is just a freak show. Um, let's see. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. So the tranny resigned because, quote, I resigned because of the constant misinformation, bullying, and harassment. Harassment, I tell you. I've been harassed. <laughs> so the, uh, the tranny resigned because of all that. And now the Lutheran Church is in the process of disciplining the tranny. Not for being a tranny, but for offending a Puerto Rican. So, um, and then we have a statement here uh, from, from uh, who is the statement from? Who has the nerve to actually make a statement? Talk about no shame. Let's see. That's that. This would be the Right Reverend Elizabeth Eaton, which is the denomination's presiding bishop. She says that the Evangelical Lutheran Church Association, I'm sorry, of America, is a church that will not tolerate racism in any way. We will hold ourselves accountable. So, we will hold ourselves. I think I'll just leave it at that. What more? What more can you say? If you are thinking about joining the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, <clears throat> well, there you go. I just wanted to lay that out there for you, just in case anybody was thinking that. We go from there on to the justice file, where an Ohio police officer got, got the words pure tattooed across one set of knuckles there on his right hand. And then he got the word evil tattooed across the knuckles of his left hand. After which he was terminated by, by the police department there in Ohio. Thank heaven. A ray of hope. <laughs> it turns out, it turns out if you want to be a cop in uh, wherever this is in Ohio, any town in Ohio, small, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, not, not just a small town. If you want to be a cop in Cincinnati, tattoos are forbidden on the face, neck, head, and hands. Anywhere else, eh, whatever. You know, get a pentagram tattooed on your back for all we care. Be a police officer. Get your arms sleeved in satanic script, and then you can go out and enforce the law. You could be a community resource officer at the school. But we draw the line at the face, neck, head, and hands. Thank you very much. And this, this officer got the tattoo, on, the offensive tattoo, on the knuckles there, pure 
evil is. Now, the officer claims in his defense that the tattoos are, they're supposed to be read separately. Mm-hmm. And he claims that they're meant to represent the struggle between good and evil, which it sounds like he made that up when he found out he was going to get fired. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're in violation of the uh, of, 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 uh, policy, and we're going to fire you. And so he made that up, and that didn't work. And so, no doubt, he'll go on now, and he'll be recruited by some other law enforcement agency that doesn't have the rule about the tattoos on the knuckles and on the hands. Why didn't he get the tattoos removed? He said that would be too expensive. Is It is expensive. I, I No, it seems like he did it fairly recently. Uh, it seems like he was already a police officer before he went in for the offensive tattoos. Now, folks, I just want to let you know, if you have tattoos, listen, I'm sorry, okay? I come from the old days, which wasn't that long ago, that tattoos were primarily associated with prisoners, bikers, and sailors. That's it. To all of dubious moral standing, by the way. <laughs> At least in polite company, I'm sorry. And uh, by the way, I happen to know, because I've read his book, that God's not a big fan of tattoos at all. He doesn't like them. And so I always found them to communicate a certain level of stupidity at the very least. Because I remember sitting in a tattoo parlor with other young men about my age, and we all were probably at approximately the same level of intoxication, yet they were stupid enough to get those things on their bodies. And I looked around and I said, you know what? There's not enough liquor in the entire universe <laughs> that would persuade me to get anything you have on that wall tattooed on my body. <laughs> so they've always communicated a certain level of stupidity at the very least to me and and it could be that it's actually just dumb luck that I don't have one in that I just never saw something that I thought yeah I'd like to get that tattooed on my body for the rest of my life maybe it's just dumb luck but am I judgmental against people with tattoos yes I am and if you want to hold that against me go right ahead hold that against me Am I going to apologize? No, I'm not. Um, if you have a tattoo, I just say, well, you know, you've done at least one stupid thing in your life. Trust me, I've done a few myself. I just don't have them inked on my body for the rest of my life. Just by dumb luck. Now, meanwhile, we go from there. Should we go from there anywhere or should we just stick with that? Now that I've offended everyone in the audience with tattoos, which, by the way, is like seems like everybody these days except me then uh, I should take this moment to say that I am not sorry. That's what they were saying that night. They got the tattoo. Nobody could understand each other. What was going on there? And uh, so from there, we go to the uh, we go to the crack up file where we have reports coming in about uh, what, what people are calling shrink 
Shrinkflation, yeah, that's right. Product sizes are decreasing while the prices remain the same. That's right. And the Babylon Bee, those guys are geniuses. I love it. I just saw the post that Costco will now only sell normal size food. <laughs> but apparently they're going to keep the inflated price. That's right. I've got a, a report here from Breitbart. Cottonelle toilet paper has gone from 340 sheets to 312, and they're hoping you won't notice. Just like I'm the only one who noticed when the, when the width of the toilet paper shrank down. Did anybody else point that out? I, I think my extremely attractive <laughs> audio engineer pointed it out to me. Now, I wonder, are they now making the toilet paper holders and the little springy insert tube thing, are they making those more narrow now? Since the size of the, the width of the toilet paper is never going back where it was, folks. I'm afraid we've lost that one forever. The width, yeah. Just so I made a prediction back in 2009, I think. Not a prediction, but I, I perceived that gold would never go below $800 an ounce again. That was my perception. So far, I've been right. And, and the width of the toilet paper, that's never going back. <clears throat> and now, 340 sheets to 312 in a roll. 312 is going to be the new standard, folks. We're never going to get these things back. Kleenex. Kleenex had 65 Kleenexes in a box. Now there's 60. Our great-great-grandchildren will always think there was 60, or maybe it'll be 30 by then. Anyway, the, the, but the prices remain the same on these products. Gatorade has gone from 32 now to 28 ounces. That was probably appropriate. Domino's is reporting that they will be shrinking the size of their 10-piece chicken wings to eight pieces for the same price of $7.99. And, of course, in the modern vernacular, they will still be allowed to identify the dish as a 10-piece. Because now the sauce packets will identify as chicken wings. And, and who are you to judge how a sauce packet identifies or how anyone identifies? We want to identify two packets of sauce as two chicken wings. We can do that. And apparently they will. So from there now, well, well from there, let's go to, uh, Let's go to uh, the Alaska Bureau with a, let's see, they have a, we have a filing, I think we would call it, since it's not a report. It's more just a statement. The Alaska Bureau is announcing that they have, they have divined a method for ending mass shootings. That's right. It's a simple, a simple solution. The Alaska Bureau has determined that they will simply redefine such shootings from three or more dead to somewhere around 1,962 killed before it qualifies as a mass shooting. This is projected to dramatically reduce mass shootings. <laughs> and they are also working feverishly there at the Alaska Bureau on a method to end crime. And they'll be back, they'll get back with us on their plan for a dramatic reduction, perhaps an end to all crime. And now that brings us back to George Soros, the source of all crime, or well, the source of a significant amount. George Soros and Barack Obama appear to be almost done with Volodymyr Zelensky and Ukraine. They're just about done. Apparently, all of the evidence that needed to be destroyed there in Ukraine uh, has been destroyed, or or there's just enough general chaos and smoke and confusion that that Barack and George can now move on to the next flavor of the month, whatever that will be, the next crisis, whatever that will be. And I don't want to imply that this is all their conspiracy just between George Soros and Barack Obama. I certainly don't want to imply that at all. Not at all. No, certainly not. But imagine if we could overhear the conversation between George Soros and Barack Obama on the phone, what would it sound like? Well, don't, don't, George, don't worry about that. Don't. Chances are, George, nobody's even going to notice that Russia was losing the war and losing the war and losing the war right up until they won. Don't worry, George, I don't think. Remember, George, you remember legalizing marijuana, George? That's right. I don't think we'll have to worry. 
but we're going to need something, George. We're going to need something. We might not even have to kill Zelensky, but right. I, but no, I don't think the monkeypox, no, I don't think that doesn't seem to be taking, doesn't seem to be working. That's, I think that, hey, how about that? How about the space aliens, George? No, no, not yet, not yet. Okay, uh, how, we could do a new variant. New variant, George. Those have gone. That's been pretty reliable. And, uh, and you know, George, well, wait, hear me out. We are hitting the time frame for lots of people to start dying from the shots, you know, and the boosters and all of that. I mean, you saw Justin Bieber's face the other day, right? George, did you see? Maybe. Do you think? I don't know, George. I think. I think we need something. I think we need something new. I think we need something big. Hey, how about this? How about an assassination? An assassination. We haven't had one of those in a while, George. That would shake things up, George. Going into November. Oh, oh, Kavanaugh. No, no, that was just gravy, George. No, we didn't even plan that. No. What? Actually, we were still thinking the monkeypox would catch on. While that was brewing, we can, we can only do so much, George. It's not everything. By the way, the, the intern with the monkeypox idea has been dispatched per your orders, sir. But hold on, hold on. Now listen, an assassination. Come on, come on. Now let that one roll around in the snifter for a minute. Let me know what you think about it, George. Hey, do you know? If Hillary still arranges that sort of thing, George, I'm... No, 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 no. Well, no, no, not a suicide with help. No, no. This, this would be right out there like, you know, like what your folks did there with Kennedy. Right out there in the open. You know. Yeah. Yes, well, well. Remember, George, we're looking to shake things up. Shake things up. Sure, sure. And everyone knows... Everyone knows, George, that Hillary never liked Joe any more than Michelle and I. That's Get her on the phone, George. Get her on the phone. No, 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 no. No, no, this is not the type of thing. <laughs> this is not the type of thing that we want to send to her in an email, if you know what I mean, George. <laughs> I'm your host, Doug McBurney. That's him, all right. Had him pegged the whole time. No doubt about it. We know where you're coming from, George, and we know where you're going. That's right. We know where you're going, George. Absolutely. We come back to the Justice File, where we go to Kenmore, Tonawanda, in the Buffalo, New York area. Buffalo being the site of one of the more recent massacres. Not the last massacre, no, the last massacre was like the night before last, and I think that was somewhere in the Midwest. And we'll probably get to that, possibly. But massacres, they don't even make it above the fold anymore because, well, you know, I don't have to go into all that. But let's go to Kenmore, Tonawanda in the Buffalo, New York area, where Arthur F. Warner is a retired teacher who's accused of molesting at least 35 boys in the Kenmore, Tonawanda School District in the public schools there in western New York. So he molested all these boys not far from the most recent grocery store massacre. There in the Buffalo area, the, the school district 
has agreed now to pay $17 million to settle lawsuits filed by 35 former students who claimed that uh, Arthur Warner, public school teacher, molested them. Um, the homo child molester teacher retired from the public school district in 1993 and was never criminally charged with molesting anyone. And he was not named as a defendant in any of the lawsuits filed against the Kenmore Tonawanda School District and the homosexual child molester teacher will not be required to pay any part of the $17.5 million settlement. At which point you almost want to slap your head and just like, what's going on here? It seems like this teacher didn't do anything. He never admitted to doing anything. Nobody thought he ever did anything. Nobody knows anything. And we're going to pay $17.5 million so everyone can just shut up about it. Which seems a bit odd, right? It does seem a bit odd. School officials said that the molesters' actions were reprehensible while denying that they knew anything about anything at all, about anything having anything to do with any of it. But it was reprehensible. But we didn't know about it, and we certainly didn't cover it up. And by the way, we're going to go ahead and settle these lawsuits without addressing the merits of any of the allegations. Which, in my mind, makes this a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice. The school officials are going to agree to cover this up and shut up about it and not talk to anyone and pay a massive amount of money to children who were victims of crime. So, well, they're adults now. And to me, that's a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice, and it should not be allowed to happen. But it is going to happen, and it happens all the time. So how is it that nobody has to admit anything, including the molester or all the people who were around him? Nobody has to admit it. How, how, is this, how is this possible? So here we go. Dive with me into the depths of the just uh, system in the state of New York. The reason the child molester, the homosexual child molester, was not named as a defendant by the lawyers on behalf of the victims, the reason they didn't name him was because they assumed he wouldn't have insurance coverage to contribute to a significant settlement. So the actual criminal offender didn't have enough money, and so the victims were encouraged to, to sue the school district instead. And then the school district, now they could have added the homosexual child molesting teacher as a third party, but they didn't do that for similar reasons because his insurance wouldn't have really had enough money to make it worth the... You see, any claim the district could have pursued against the actual criminal would have cost more money than they could have recovered. And so justice was not financially beneficial, you see. So lawyers on both sides... Not on the homosexual child molesting pervert, so he didn't need any lawyers. Lawyers for the victims and lawyers for the school district. Uh, along with the district, along with the district, yeah, yeah, along with the, the victims, even, and their families agreed to go for the money instead of justice. Just they agreed to all, oh, let's just go for the money. So we're just now waiting for the weepy victims' families press conference at which they will assure us that this has nothing to do with the money. Oh, wait, they're not going to do that anymore. See, they used to do that. They used to sue the molester for all kinds of money, and then they would have a weepy press conference and say, it's not about the money, this is all about justice. But even that's been thrown out now, folks. They just go for the money. Look, we had to go for the money. Come on, here. Look, we'll do the math for you. You can see, right, why we had to go for the money. Come on. The homosexual pervert child molester enjoys his retirement. And no criminal charges. Having molested boys for 30 years. And some of the boys are now millionaires. And so what is this all about? This is why. This is how you lose a country. This is how you lose a civilization. This is how.
Meanwhile, from there, the queering of uh, Tonawanda in New York, we go to the queering of America file, where OutKick is reporting that the, a number of players for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, oh, they dropped the devil from their name a couple years ago, which they should have just kept it. They, I think, I think they, they didn't drop it because they didn't like referring to the devil. They just dropped it because it was too many syllables for most of their fans. So now they're just the Tampa Bay Rays. Nothing to do with the devil here. Uh-uh. Well, a number of the, the number of the players objected to wearing a homosexual symbol on their uniforms during Pride Month. Because they didn't want to have anything to do with the devil. And so, yes, one of the players, Jason Adams, who didn't want to wear the rainbow symbol on his uniform, glorifying... A deviant, perverted, corrupt, evil, wicked godlessness in the form of gay pride. He said, ultimately, a number of the players said that, listen, hey, all are welcome here and all are loved and all of that. But to put that symbol on our bodies, you know, that's just a lifestyle that not that, that we look down on anybody, not that there's anything wrong with it. Not, no, but maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus encouraged us to abstain from that type of behavior, just like he encourages me, by the way, to abstain from sex outside of marriage. It's no different, said uh Jason Adams, a baseball player. And we appreciate Jason Adams not wanting to put the gay symbol on his uniform. We hope he doesn't have to. Um, but we just want to remind Jason that it's, it is different. In that if you were participating in fornication or adultery, you wouldn't put a patch on your uniform and go out there and... Would you? No, you wouldn't. Because... Uh, listen, Jason Adams, baseball player. First of all, we don't assume that you're any type of spiritual leader or even all that intelligent. I mean, you play a game for a living. But children do look up to you, Jason Adams, baseball player. And so, I first of all, I want to say that your admonition against fornication is laudable. That is laudable. But your equivocation of fornication and homosexuality is in error. That's all. Uh, it's, but uh, we hope you don't have to put the patch on. We hope that you're not taken out behind the baseball stadium and shot for not wearing the ribbon. Um, anyway, the reporter at OutKick goes on to say that it should be understood that we all don't have to agree with each other's sexual orientation because we can all mind our own business, but... Yeah, <laughs> So here's the thing there, uh, reporter at OutKick, and I, don't, I have no idea who you are. I don't know if you're a conservative. I don't know, know if you're a liberal. But um, Jesus acknowledges that certain behaviors are not only sinful, but they're also criminal. That's what Jesus acknowledges, Mr. OutKick reporter there, who thinks that everything should be understood, that we don't have to agree on sexual orientation. I don't want to offend anybody, but, you know. Well, then shut up. What, what are you talking about? Why even open your mouth? Why even open your yap? If you're not willing to say that, listen, certain things are criminal. And, by the way, for about 5,000 years, we all knew they were criminal. It's just like really recently that uh, we've all decided that we can have sexual orientations. Before that, we used to arrest people for that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, Mr. Outkick Reporter and Mr. Jason Adams Baseball Player, and all of you who don't want to offend anyone and who, don't, who want to just, we all want to get along and respect each other's orientation, here's the thing. When criminals are allowed to openly flaunt their crimes, you might just want to mind your own business. But here's the thing. It becomes their business to silence and destroy anyone who objects 
to their public flaunting of their crimes. It becomes their business. It's the nature of an unrestrained criminal. They become more and more evil, and they insist you have to agree with them, go along with them, participate with them. That's the nature of criminality. So you're going to make it their business to destroy your civilization. And then you're not going to be allowed to just mind your own business. It doesn't work that way, Mr. Jason Adams, baseball player, Mr. Outkick reporter. It doesn't work that way. For example, how far along are we down the slide into the black hole of a thousand years of darkness? Here's, here's where we are. This uh, past Friday, an episode of America's Newsroom aired on Fox News, your source for conservative news, where a reporter named Brian highlighted the story of Ryland Whittington. Who's Ryland Whittington? A young girl whose family embraced her transgender transition to male when she was five years old. So on Fox News, on Friday morning, in front of God and everybody, America's bastion of conservatism celebrated the transgender child abuse of a five-year-old girl by her parents. That's right, uh, this, this, this victim, Ryland Whittington, was transitioned from a girl to a boy back in 2014 when she was five years old. So this Ryla Whittington is now just 12 years old. She's just a 12-year-old kid now. But her abusive parents and Fox News exploited her this past week. They insist she isn't an innocent child of 12 years old and that she's not a victim. They say she's a social justice warrior and they're putting her out there on the front of the phalanx there of transgender children and so fox news and the and the parents participated in the abuse this past friday on television with fox news describing ryland whittington five-year-old victim of child abuse now 12-year-old victim of exploitation fox news described her as a typical southern california teenager and according to her mother, Ryland told her parents that she was a boy even before she could speak. So, so mom needed a mental health check at the very least, if not uh, criminal intervention. Uh, your child is, your girl is telling you she's a boy before she can even talk. Okay, mom, first of all, let's go see a psychiatrist or uh, let's go see a priest <laughs> or, or let's call the cops. Um, but anyway, mom says, I could just see it. It was like painful. It was painful for him to have to wear feminine clothing and us telling him you're a girl. It was painful, says psychologically disabled, possibly criminal insane, criminally insane mother, Hillary Whittington, appropriately. Hillary, another Hillary for crying out. Despite the Whittington family's conservative faith, says Fox yeah. News, they believe that God created Ryland just the way he is. And he is in quotation marks in the uh, Breitbart well, stories. Well, you know, God makes trannies too. Come on. That's a conservative thing now. I mean, maybe you don't go to a conservative church, but at our conservative church, you can transition your five-year-old. So maybe, are they part of the evangelical Lutheran? <laughs> That's a conservative, uh, let's see now. Statistics indicate, according to Breitbart, statistics indicate that more than half of transgender minors engage in self-harm. That means they hurt themselves, they cut themselves, they try to kill themselves. And... That's why Ryland's mom says, I would rather have a living son than a dead daughter, says abusive neurotic mom to Fox News. She said, here's what mom says, and she was allowed to say on Fox, America's bastion for conservative reportage. 
Mom was allowed to say, quote, I guarantee if we had pushed back, I don't think we would have either one of the kids we have here today. Well, what are you saying, Mom? Would you have killed them? Is that what? Are you saying they would have killed themselves or are you saying you would have killed them because you're obviously crazy? Are you saying you might have killed yourself? Because I could believe that too. And, you know, I'm willing to talk with you about all of this, Mom, because you obviously have problems. The segment's conclusion there on Fox News, the reporter praised the family for displaying extraordinary courage. Extraordinary courage. That's extraordinary courage on Fox News about one week out from their honor of uh, D-Day, the 6th of June at Normandy, back when that was courage. That was a week ago. That was extraordinary courage. This week, it's Tranny Mom. Tranny abusive, neurotic, psychotic, sociopathic mother abuses her child And that's a display of extraordinary courage as reported on Fox News, America's aforementioned bastion for uh, what's left of conservatism. What, where do I want to go? How do I, it's, can I finish this? Um, why don't I do this? I'm going to do this uh, war from the war file. This is from the war civil or otherwise file. The group Ruth sent us is now targeting Justice Any Coney Barrett and her children just days after the assassination attempt on Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The group Ruth sent us uh, has uh, have advocated for protests outside the homes, the church, and the, ch- the children's school of Justice Any Coney Barrett. The group has been protesting outside the homes of all the conservative justices, as, as you uh, well watched i'm certain and they released a a, a, a a statement join us our protests moved the needle on this coverage they said in a tweet apparently alluding to moving the needle on the assassination of brett kavanaugh apparently they're okay you know we're moving the needle it moved kind of toward assassination here's the thing folks the left understands that this is war Uh, I have a definition for war. War is a state that exists when the government finds it necessary to legalize the killing of human beings in order to preserve its authority or the physical integrity of the nation. That is my definition of a state of war. And our government did that beginning in 1966 in, in in the several states and culminating in 1973 when the United States government legalized the killing of human beings in order to preserve its authority over the people. And our side took protests to their side's homes, by the way, first. Our side did. I did, personally. We personally visited the homes of abortionists Uh, Not with guns or knives or candles or anything weird. We weren't going there to assassinate anyone. But we went to their homes first, by the way. We did this all through the 1990s and early 2000s. But we only did that because they brought their war to our home first. It was our friends and our neighbors' children who they were killing. So they brought the war to our house. We brought it to their house. Now it's being brought to the homes of the Supreme Court. Because it's a war. People are actually being killed. And so how do we participate? How do we win this war? I have a story here, Matt Walsh, on how to win the culture war. This isn't a culture war. This is an actual war with the actual murder the, the legalized killing of human beings by the government. So where do we draw the line? How do we draw the line? I'll come back to that, and I'll do Matt Walsh's advice and all of that next week. Uh, if the Lord tarries, we'll be back with you next week. I want to thank my friends at Real Science Radio and my other brother, Daryl, who's still listening, by the way, still making it all happen here in the Weekly Worldview Studios. Should the Lord tarry, we'll return next week. And until then, may the grace of God go with you, and may the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you.